we're on our guide to the psalm series. Uh, chapter 6, the nature of Hebrew poetry. We're going to continue to talk about parallelism, parallelisms. And we're going to talk about kinds of parallelisms, uh, types of parallelisms. I always hesitate to use the word types because uh, tupas, the Greek, is, uh, is a, a very important biblical word. And of course, things like Moses being a type of Christ or Joseph being a type of Christ or the Passover lamb being a type of Christ, you know, is a major category of biblical thinking. So uh, when we're, you know, we're not talking about types in that sense. We're, we're talking really about the function of different kinds of parallelisms, how they, how they uh, function in different ways. So just to review, chapter 1, we looked at uh, the New Testament, the apostolic writers. We had four pages of quotes from the New Testament uh, using the Psalms. So, and, and if you remember, I had to screen out maybe 25% or so of the quotes because I couldn't fit all of them on two pages. And uh, we looked at the whole birth of the apostolic hermeneutic when Jesus uh, of course, in John 5, 39, Jesus says an eternal truth that uh, you search the scriptures because you think in them they have, that you have eternal life, but the scriptures bear witness of me. Uh, that was always God's eternal intention, and that's uh, eternally in the scriptures. But in Luke 24, when he opens their minds to understand that and, begins, and they begin to do the process that Paul spent 14 years, as he talks about in Galatia, doing, rethinking the whole of the Jewish scriptures in light of their foreshadowing of Christ. Uh, and then so that process starts in earnest in Luke 24 and is the key to understanding the whole Bible, really. Uh, so we, we looked at that in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we looked at the, uh, the whole idea of the five wisdom books of the Bible, Job, which we're not doing in this uh, series because uh, some people think it says job. Um, the Proverbs, we are throwing in an occasional proverb here just to see, show that Hebrew poetry works the same way. Ecclesiastes, because it uh, brings me back to the 70s too much. And uh, <laughs> so we're not, we're not doing that. And of course, hopefully you know that Song of Solomon and Song of Songs is sometimes called canticles, and canticles was the word I could fit on one line there. So that's why I put that name of this of Song of Solomon there. So uh, chapter 3, we uh, looked at an introduction to something we've talked a lot about in this church over the years, biblical imagery. And the fact that biblical imagery quite intentionally repeats the images and the themes throughout the Scripture and there's sometimes the antithesis, anti-biblical interest. And so the garden theme that start, the Bible starts off with becomes the wilderness theme. And, uh, but eventually it becomes the city theme. And we, so we see human history starting with a garden. Uh, we see both Israel and Jesus, the true Israel, going through the wilderness and we see at the close of, of the Bible, we see the new heavens and the new earth coming down in the form of the new Jerusalem. And all of that is one interrelated theme throughout the Bible. And of course, that theme is touched upon many times in the Psalms. So uh, it's important to kind of start to understand biblical imagery. 
Um, if you haven't done enough with that, I would recommend a book that uh, has been quite popular with ch churches I've pastored over the years called Through New Eyes, uh, subtitled something like B Building or Developing a, a Biblical View of the World. And I always forget, is that Lightheart or uh, who's it? Uh, James Jordan? It's Jordan. Uh, so Lightheart and Jordan kind of get blurred in my mind. They're, you know, too, uh, because they kind of hang out together all the time anyway. Uh, so then we uh, looked at parallelisms, and uh, we defined them as the correspondence that intentionally exists between two juxtaposed lines. Then uh, the last time we talked was two weeks ago. We looked at eight uh, literary devices that are used in biblical imagery, like similes and metaphors. It's like a, uh, and so forth, all the way through uh, anthropomorphisms and apostrophe and so forth. And synecdoche, uh, one of, which hopefully is one of your favorites now. Uh, so today we're going to look at more on parallelisms. Of course, you know I sometimes call parallelisms couplets and triplets. And uh, it looks like that's not used a lot, but it is used in some, some biblical literature. But we're looking at, when I say types or kinds or categories, we're looking at the, uh, from a practical point of view, uh, how do they function? So I think we want to look at about five or so of those four um, of the main ways that parallelism uh, appears in the Bible. And this list is somewhat in order of importance. Uh, so um, with this, I'm going to kind of help us understand how they function by using like A, B, like a little diagramming of them. So... Uh, some of those are in your notes as well. So the first is uh, what's called synonymous or sometimes called static. I uh, call it emphatic parallelism. That I've only seen that one other article in my, in my life, which I just found the other night late. Uh, but I've been uh, the reason I've liked emphatic parallelism is that's its function. Uh, its function is to repeat for emphasis. And... Uh, um, I had a boss uh, that I worked for for many years who was sort of like the king of similes. No matter what subject that he was talking about, he would always say, well, it's like a... And then he would have some story or metaphor or whatever that illustrated the point that we're talking about. And he uh, like did that like for every discussion there was. And uh, so... Um, and apparently Lucy Grace liked it. Um, so in a synonymous or static parallelism, the two lines or the two colas or sometimes the two stanzas uh, are uh, basically saying the same thing using different, two different images or sometimes you have one that's an image and one that's more of a uh, prose statement, you might say. Uh, but they both restate each other. And there's no progression of the idea. It's an amplification of the idea. That's why I like the word uh, emphatic. Uh, and so uh, you, you would, like if you were using algebraic symbolism or something, you would say A, A. So 
line A or stanza A says the same thing as stanza A. The second one is also A, uh, which is the opposite of, say, what you see in uh, Psalm 1. You see Psalm 1, the first three verses are about the wise and godly man who trembles at God's word and so forth, and he's fruitful and, and so forth. And then uh, verses 4 and 5 are exactly the opposite. So that's A, B. And then verse 6 summarizes the whole psalm, because it's only six lines, or six verses, that is. Um, and so in the verse 6 restates A, a B. And the, ver, you know, the verse 6 is the top part of the line is about the godly man, the bottom part of the line is about the odd, ungodly man. And so the whole psalm is A, B, A, B. And it contrasts the, the godly or wise man with the ungodly. And of course, godliness is, is the very definition of biblical wisdom, which we looked at back in chapter 2. We looked at some things that, uh, that biblical wisdom was all about, and, that, and it has to do with a way of life. Biblical wisdom is, is described as a way or a path or a highway at various times. It's a road you're on. All right, so with a couple examples of uh, synonymous parallelism, Psalm 78.1, I have it both in the ESV and um, um, I have it in, uh, in the uh, NASB. So the ESV says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, where uh, the NASB says, Listen, instead of give ear. Uh, and you could express, like, you, you would probably express that you know, like me, I'd probably be more like, listen, uh, there's a famous uh, incident in my family where uh, a certain uh, one of my sons was not being very well respected in a conversation with his brothers and sisters. And he said, and so he was appealing that they would pay attention to his point, And he said, listen to me. And so we still do that to him 30 years later. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm making a point here. And uh uh, and you guys aren't uh, giving enough attention to my point, was his point. Um, so we still, every once in a while, at a family gathering, that'll come up. Listen to me. <laughs> um, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Uh, so if you see, give ear or listen, uh, is saying pretty much uh, the same thing as incline your ears. And teaching or instruction is saying is pretty much the same as the words of my mouth. So it's a first first half of the of the verse is a is a coda or a line that a cola that, uh, that says a and the second half is a cola that says a flipping over the page psalm 117 praise the lord all nations is the esv extol him all peoples whereas the instead of extol the the nasb and the new king james both say laud and the NET actually says, applaud him all peoples. Uh, and I've, it makes me think of, uh, I've been in many a worship meeting where a wave of the Spirit of God will kind of go through the worship. And uh, if you really learn how to worship corporately, you want to learn how to sort of ride the, you know, stay entirely focused on the Lord. Don't let your mind drift. Just if you can do that as one corporate entity and enjoy the presence of God, God's spirit will have different waves, 
And sometimes the, the uh, people, the kind of wave of God's Spirit will kind of be manifesting His glory in such a way that you end up applauding Him. And, uh, and you, uh, you see that happen quite often, cheering, shouting. And, um, you know, uh, obviously that has to be uh, something that the eyes of faith have opened up our spirit to see the Lord and, or experience the Lord. I've always thought it, it uh, quite funny that in our culture, uh, English-speaking Christians generally, in terms of how they worship worldwide, are generally the most reserved uh, worshipers in the history of the church and the history of the world. Very formal, very polite, not too uh, expressive. And uh, I've always thought it's funny that it's perfectly okay to jump up and down and, uh, and uh, cheer when you're, you know, when you're watching soccer or football or baseball or something. Uh, my mo- one of my most embarrassing moments ever was I was uh, at my good friend who passed away last year, Mike Manahan's house, watching the national championship game with Bowling Green in the uh, hockey uh, winning, and, and uh, Bowling Green was down four goals to two with about two and a half minutes left and came and scored two goals in the last couple minutes to tie it up. And then no one scored again for four overtimes. And uh, so it was four to four for like four overtimes. And in the fourth overtime, Bowling Green scored a goal to win, to win the national championship. And I forgot that we were in a room with slanted ceilings and, and I jumped up very enthusiastically into the air, promptly hitting my head on the slanted ceiling and, uh, and feeling a little foolish. But, uh, but it was kind of worth it. But, uh, um, but, you know, that's perfectly acceptable behavior. But, uh, you know, when I was watching the Ten Commandments and... Yul Brenner, who's playing Pharaoh, says, Moses, God is God. And I threw my chair across the room and, and shouted, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we don't think of that as quite as acceptable a behavior, <laughs> but, uh, but I assure you, uh, that's what the psalmist is talking about. Laud him all peoples, like he's the king. Uh, he, you know, think about it, uh, this, this world has had approximately 15 billion uh, human beings in the history of the world, all of whom have been able to do nothing about the law of sin and death, except one human being who conquered death and sin and the grave. Amen. Now, if that's not something to get a little excited about, that's, that's beyond four overtimes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, that's 15 billion overtimes that didn't turn out well, and uh, one overtime uh, changed everything. So um, it really gets down to, by the, the grace of God, do you see it? Uh, you know, I, I uh, do have dreams sometimes, and, and so do you, actually. Uh, all of us actually do, that, that the Lord has, uh, is involved in the dream. And um, I do remember once uh, in my dream, it was, I was a young Christian, and I was in the most intense church I've ever seen even to this day about worship, and we were worshiping what almost everyone would consider in our, by our standards today in a very intense type of way. 
But in the dream, all of a sudden, Jesus stood in the front, like, like at, at the small podium, like some of the guys do, like uh, uh, Jason did last week where he had the podium down here. All of a sudden, Jesus was standing there in the dream, and everyone could see him in a much more clear way. And the worship went to a whole new level immediately. And then I woke up, and I, you know, I'm like, Lord, what's that dream about? And he said, you know, the Lord just showed me it's, it, the, the, the intensity of your worship really gets down to the grace of God, how, how clearly you, you see him. And the, if, if you see him clearly in the, by the eyes of the Spirit, your worship will be quite intense. And uh, how could it not be? And so, you know, in the dream, every, the, the intensity of the worship went up several notches all of a sudden, even in a, in a worship meeting that everyone would have said, boy, these people really worship the Lord passionately or attention, intent, intensely here. But if we see him for who he is, uh, we will, praise the Lord, all nations, we will laud him, applaud him, all people. Psalm 3, 1 through 2, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. We've all felt that sometimes, right? (laughs) Um, Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance. Um, That's the NASV, the the, uh, ESV says salvation for him and God. So this is actually a triplet where everything is uh, saying the same thing. Psalm 120, verse 2, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Now, lying lips and a deceitful tongue are two ways of saying the same thing, right? So it's a couplet that's a synonymous couplet, or it's a static couplet. There's no movement of the idea, and it's just done for emphasis. So that's why I use the words synonymous, static, and emphasis in this type of couplet. Proverbs 3.11, I put that in two translations. A lot of people love this verse. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his proof. Uh, whereas the NASB, instead of saying despise, uses reject. Do not reject the Lord's discipline. Both of those are quite good, aren't they? Don't we have a tendency to, to, to want to do that, <laughs> right? You know, we're grumbling or complaining about the, uh, uh, the things we're going through, but the Lord is actually trying to chastise us for this or that or warn us of this or that. Uh, so, uh, again, weary of his reproof or loathe his reproof. Uh, if you, when it says CF, by the way, that means compare or confer with Hebrews 12.5, because Hebrews 12.5 quotes that verse in the context of talking about our war against sin and overcoming temptation and and God's discipline in our life and our Heavenly Father chastising every son he receives. You you know, what's kind of a funny thing is uh, very hard to admonish or correct anybody in our day and age, but lack of correction or lack of admonishment is, is is the sign of not being accepted. If you, you cannot love someone that you don't admonish or correct. You know, I uh, have developed a problem in my old age for years when discipling people. I've always taught, do not lay down and read unless your intention is to fall asleep. But in the last three or four years, my cell phone 
and with Kindle books on it has completely changed that because I can read for hours and hours without falling asleep laying in my bed. I guess it's because somebody suggested it's because of the backlit screen, but uh, I missed the uh, early prayer this morning, partly because even though I was in bed by like 1 o'clock last night or so, 1.30, uh, I actually went up to bed about 11.30, but I had some more chores to get up and do, finish the tea and so forth. But, uh, you know, as I lay there reading my Kindle books, uh, reading some very good books on various counseling issues and so forth, and nothing's more fun than when you're reading a book that other people are reading and therefore you're going to discuss it together. Uh, I've got some books like that going right now. And, uh, you know, my wife always has to rebuke me about 3.30. She's like, you're reading all night again. Got to turn, turn that thing off and go back to sleep. Or get to sleep, I should say. So, uh, better is open rebuke than love that's hidden, <laughs> right? So, I'm, is that Proverbs 27? Don't despise, re- reject the discipline of the Lord. Psalm 5, 9, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Now, I like this one because it's static or emphatic parallelism, or you would also say synonymous parallelism. But its structure is, for there's no truth in their mouth, the first statement corresponds to the last statement, they flatter with their tongue. Your mouth and your tongue are are where the words come out. Uh, But they come out of your inner self. Jesus said the, the, the mouth speaks out of the abundance, it fills the heart. So both middle statements are about the condition of, the, of his in, inner self. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat, that's a little deeper, is an open grave. So that's, uh, again, it's A-B-B-A, but it's, it's synonymous uh, parallelism, but almost as if it was in a mirror. So, uh, you know, the A and the A are further apart, and the B and the B are closer together um, in terms of its structure. All right, so the second type, I'm going to lean over here. Oh, good. I've got another three hours. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Just an idle threat. Uh, I actually did speak over six hours once uh, to a group of about 70 hand-chosen people who had been invited to the meeting. <laughs> so... Uh, the second one is the opposite of the first one, antithetical. So thesis is the opposite of antithesis. Um, synonymous is the opposite of opposite, or contrasting parallelism. And that's where the second line states the opposite of the first line. So diagram-wise, that would be A, B. They're, they're differing statements. In fact, they're opposing statements. So again, uh, the, uh, uh, Sindhu told me in our meeting Wednesday, I guess we met for a few hours and had a fantastic time studying the Bible and so forth, and she told me she always liked the, prog- the proverb that I like, that, uh, the, the, like the dog that uh, returns to its own vomit is the fool who repeats his folly, and uh, that's, that's AA. That's, our, that's another example of our synonymous parallelism. They say the same thing, but the one says it with an image, and the other says it with a more didactic statement. The, you know, the dog uh, returning to its own vomit, that's a word picture. You, if you think about it too long, you'll go, ooh. Like we've, who, if you ever had a puppy, 
you know that you have to like pull them away <laughs> because they will throw up and then eat it again, and you got to like grab them and uh, and uh, and then you got like, why did we ever get a dog? <laughs> and uh, I knew this would happen. So, and then uh, of course is the fool who repeats his own folly. We can all relate to that. We've all done that. Okay, so back to antithetical or opposing or opposite or contrasting parallelisms. Here's a few examples. Psalm 1-6, which you already mentioned, the last line says, uh, the last verse has two, two colas or two lines. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the p- wicked will perish. The, the, the Lord knows, now actually I'm not sure if that's considered one cola, uh, or, or, but it's two, two lines. Two phrases, anyway. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 18, 27. For you save a humble people. NASB translates humble as afflicted. And if you remember when it's talking about fasting, uh, some New King James and ESV will say, I I humbled my soul with fasting, whereas uh, the New American Standard will say, I afflicted my soul with fasting. And if you do like a Hebrew word study of that word, same word as here, you'll find that the way the humbling, people ask, always ask, well, how can I humble myself? Well, part of how you humble yourself is to afflict your soul. Your soul is used to having its way. Your soul can be very controlling, very domineering, very opinionated, uh, very self-righteous, very know-it-all. Am I talking to the right audience? Anybody ever experienced any of those things? <laughs> right? And so sometimes it's good to afflict your soul and let it know uh, who's, you know, that the Lord is boss. And, you, you know, you have to almost say to yourself, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> the Lord is the boss of me. <laughs> you know? uh, uh, so that's what's going on in this verse. For you save a humble or afflicted people, but the haughty eyes you bring down, uh, NASB says a vase. Uh, I saw a comment on Facebook from a friend of mine who was commenting to another friend of mine uh, from, from churches past years ago, but, uh, uh, you know, about the Lord, about humility. And uh, the one friend commented something like, uh, the Lord will humble us, but, he, but actually he won't. The Lord will not humble you. The Lord will abase you, <laughs> and the Lord will bring you low, but you actually have to still, I, I have known some pretty abased, pretty low people who, who uh, dig in deeper with their pride. And, and, and in fact, generally when you're dealing with people who have severe problems or who really have been through emotional difficulties and so forth, there's usually a very strong, strong element of self-will and pride involved that, they're, that they hang on to quite resolutely. And, and in fact, um, pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before stumbling. You almost never minister to someone who's particularly troubled emotionally or whatever, who, is, who the root of it isn't a, a, a deep-seated pride. A kind of a know-it-all, kind of I got to have my way. Now, that can be a compensation at times 
uh, for insecurities and fears of rejection and so forth, and they're stubbornly hanging on to this pride because, you know, it takes a lot of courage to admit how abased you really are. But all progress in, in reality and truth is the same as progress in humility. Because humility is just acknowledging reality. Humility is just, uh, you know, you can tell whether people are, are humble uh, by how confrontable they are. Someone who, you know, there was actually a, a weird uh, hippie type movie in the 70s. I uh, wish I knew my movie stars, but it was uh, called Love Story. Is anybody old enough to remember that silly movie? It was very popular. And, you, um, you know, it was about this uh, East Coast, uh, Harvard type yuppie couple. And, uh, you know, and there are various difficulties and with each other, and at one point, the movie, the big point that people took away from the movie for years was love means never having to say you're sorry, because, you know, he, he screws up or whatever, and then he finally comes to his senses, and he's apologizing, and this is like the response of his, uh, I don't know if they were married at this point, but his fiance or whatever, uh, love means never having to say you're sorry, which to which I... Even then, I was far enough along with the Lord to just laugh and go, that's the most stupid thing I've ever heard. Like, love means having to always say you're sorry. You know, I always tell the story of this, how this church got started was on the way home from Easter Sunday, uh, uh, whatever you call it, worship service or whatever, Catherine says to me, we got to talk. And I immediately went into, I'm sorry, whatever I did, I know I, I like, you, you can, I'll just sign the apology, you fill in what I'm sorry for. <laughs> because there will be no point in my trying to deny it or obfuscate or confuse the issues or, or any of that kind of nonsense that we all uh, have a tendency to do in our flesh. I might as well just admit, what, what, okay, just tell me, what stupid thing have I said or done now? You know, obviously a man type of thing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, turned out it wasn't that at all. <laughs> turned out, she says, I cannot go back to that church again. She said, um, uh, you know, we just were in a service with 30 to 50 people who don't go to church. Uh, were there because it was Easter. And nothing significant about the gospel was said in the, in the sermon or even in the altar call. This was a church that had, a, you know, like an altar call. You would think you'd throw in a few gospel elements in the altar call and nothing about, significant about the gospel was mentioned. And then she said, besides, our kids are growing up and they don't know what worship could be and they don't know what community could be. And, and, uh, but my point is just to say, you, you know what? Love means always having to say you're sorry. You might as well just say you're sorry in advance before the argument even gets started. Whatever it is, tell me what I'm sorry for. Because <laughs> you know, uh, you're probably right. Because that's the nature of relationships. We are blind to so many things in ourselves, And uh, the wise man is, quite, is, uh, is humble enough to be quite confrontable at times. So... Uh, where were we? Uh, Psalm 20, verse 7, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. So that's the opposite. The chariots and horses is imagery to say 
the arm of the flesh, the things that the strength of our army or how rich we are or that we have degrees on the wall or that we have a certain position in our company or whatever. Some boast in all sorts of things. That's where their trust is. Boast and trust are really the same word. Uh, It's where your confidence lies. So the opposite of that is our confidence is in the name of the Lord our God. Our confidence is in Him. So that's an antithetical or contrasting parallelism. Psalm 34.10, the young lions suffer want and hunger. I always think of the young brothers when I read this verse. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You know, you don't think of a, you know, the young lion is proud and, and rules his domain and he doesn't see his need for God, is really what the verse is saying. Uh, but the pe- people who see their need for God and seek him, they lack nothing. Uh, I've, I've decided, by the way, in each case, if you notice, I'm putting in something from Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, so you see that this parallelism idea is not just the Psalms, but it's throughout the whole Bible, but especially the wisdom literature. But, uh, you know, non-wisdom literature has parallelisms quite often. Jesus uses them a lot. Look for parallelisms in the Gospels. Uh, this is the one for all of you guys who are political. You see this one on uh, Facebook sometimes. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, <laughs> uh, but a fool's heart to the left. <laughs> Daniel Burks likes that one. All right. <laughs> He's, he's always posting various conservative points of view. Um, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's... I, I actually remember a particular pastor I like a lot teaching once, and he said, well, when it comes to politics, I'm pretty sure that right is right. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't get involved in politics too much. Proverbs 10.1, a wise son makes a father's heart glad, but a foolish son is a grief, or a ESV says sorrow, to his mother. I, I like grief because it kind of picks up the theme in Ephesians when Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed from the redemption. And of course, the biblical theme back in, in Genesis 6, where the Lord saw that the heart of man was violent and his, was always wicked. And so it grieved him that he had made man. And so uh, grief is actually uh, a, a, a word image that is associated, in my, in my opinion, with some of the deepest... I, I always, when we're taking people through the Holy Spirit series, I always talk a lot about that verse, Ephesians 4, 29, I think it is, where it says, uh, don't grieve the Spirit of God, because grief is probably one of the most intimate, most personable of human emotions. And when we're, when we're talking about the attributes of the Holy Spirit, my favorite thing about being charismatic about speaking in tongues and prayer languages and all that, is the Holy Spirit will always bring you out of religion into reality with God. He'll always bring you out of uh, programmatic, superficial relationships and, and insist that your relationships be deep, personable, real. So, um, you know, the source of our... Uh, you know, in uh, in a programmatic church, there's no quarreling, because if you uh, have someone you quarrel with, you just make sure you're not as involved with them, that you know you don't join the choir because they're in the choir. 
You don't sit on this side of the church because they sit on this side of the church. You don't join the women's auxiliary club because they're in the women's auxiliary club or whatever. You know, and uh, in real community, you, you have to kind of, sometimes you go through seasons of fighting. Usually, eventually, uh, uh, if, if you walk with the Lord in the process, eventually you find each other on the other side in a, in a better and deeper way. Pro, uh, where were we? Proverbs 10.2. Oh, that's the one we're doing. Uh, but I like how he contrasts uh, wise and foolish, father and mother. Again, so antithetical parallel. I've got to move along. I was ahead of schedule. Now I'm behind. Synthetic, formal, progressive, or climatic parallelism. This is where you move from A to B. And you might move from A to B, which if A is true, then B is true. And then if B is true, then C is true. And if C is true, then D is true. And you could be progressing in a, a triplet, a quadruplet, a sextuplet. I don't know what the one for five, so I'll skip that to six. Sextuplet, uh, whatever. So here are a few. Uh, those, their, uh, synthetic parallelisms are often called progressive or formal parallelisms. So look for that, and, and when you're looking at one of the things you'll find out is different uh, websites that, that discuss scriptures or whatever, or different books or different schools of thought, all have these same things, but they're, often they have two or three different names. So generally, uh, now uh, some, uh, some would consider the, the idea of a climatic parallelism as a separate category from, from a synthetic parallelism. So uh, it's not moving to a climatic, uh, you know, A, if A is true, B is true, and B is the climax of the thought. Uh, I think they're the same, but you will get various websites to treat them as two different categories, and we'll give examples of both. But interestingly, when I was, you know, I'm using like a dozen or different so websites while I'm doing all this stuff, and uh, you know, some of the ones that are giving examples of climatic parallelism use the same scriptures as the ones that are giving the examples of synthetic parallelism. <laughs> so that sort of reinforces the idea to me that they're pretty much the same. They're, it's moving from somewhere to somewhere. If this is happening, then this is happening. You know, if you keep courting that girl, you might get engaged. <laughs> you know? and, and if you get engaged, you might end up getting married. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, and if you get married, you know, there's all sorts of things that happen after that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, here's some examples. Psalm 18.3, I call upon the Lord as worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. If I call upon the Lord, then I'll be saved from my enemies. A, B. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore, you could almost put in the word therefore, uh, I shall not want. Be, there's a progression there. Psalm 42, 1, one of our favorites. As the deer panteth for the water. So, as the deer pants for flowing streams, and uh, I think the New American Standard uses water brooks there, so pants my soul for you, O God. So, uh, again, a word picture, then a didactic statement. But uh, the second one, 
for, for is, is somewhat of a rep repetition. You might call it synonymous, but it's more than synonymous. It's progressing from the point that deers get thirsty and they're looking for running water. Uh, that there was actually a time when uh, water baptisms were always supposed to be in running water and streams and so forth because uh, the idea of running water is, is the idea of living water in the Scripture. And that's, uh, that's why, the, you know, John the Baptist used the Jordan River, not a lake or a pond. Uh, so, you know, we're, in terms of longing for God, you can't just long for what, how you touched God last year or last week, but you need to touch God and what he's doing today is the idea. That's why that's the living water, the flowing stream is actually an important part of the idea because I can't just rely on what God showed me back in 1979. I need to know what God is showing me in 1990, whatever we are. No, 2019. <laughs> I'm, I'm way behind. <laughs> I, I got to catch up. I'm, a, I'm in the wrong century. Uh, uh, so Psalm 103, uh, as a father uh, pities his children, I think the New American, uh, the ESV and the New American Standard use... Uh, uses compassion. So the Lord has compassion on those who fears him. I use the New King James because it would fit on one leg. Uh, <laughs> uh, there. Again, so uh, I always tell people there's, there's an advantage to having raised kids because there's some things you've experienced about how God feels about us when you've raised kids. As the Lord has compassion on his kids, you start understanding. Like, it's amazing how many people I minister to who think God is very upset at them because they skinned their knee a third time. And, you know, I've never seen a parent who's, who's like, you know, upset because their, their kid fell down when they were learning to walk. It's more like, they're, did you see they walked? You know, like, parents have a way of, I did this, so I'm, you know, like, they, you know, like, little so-and-so is walking and they, you know, they took three steps and fall down. They, you know, the parent doesn't go, I knew if you started walking, you'd fall down. <laughs> right? And it's amazing how many times I'm dealing with a, a young person who feels like, you know, God's run out of patience with me. You know, I, I lost the, the third, this is the third time I've been fired from a job. Well, the Lord's not going to give up on you quite as easily as you think. And he's, his mercies are new every morning. His compassion faileth not. When, and that's King James speak for it. It's always there. It endures. It's not going to stop. You know, some of my favorite Christians like John Gray were slow, steady, like, and, and I used to hit my head on the table. Is, is this guy ever going to know? And, uh, and yet the Lord is not that way. The Lord just keeps bringing him forward, keeps bringing him forward, keeps bringing him forward. And he doesn't run out of patience. And it, it really does help having children because you don't go, gosh, little Susan, you know, I've been working with you for like four years and you're acting, you act like a four-year-old. Like you, you, you're like you're you're like a child, duh. <laughs> you know, but we don't we we have these expectations of our own walk with God that God's done with us. He's, you know, and it's one thing to kind of chastise yourself and say, "Hey, I got to cut this stuff out," or "I gotta," 
get on the ball here. I got to get organized or whatever you have to do. But uh, it's another thing to think God has, has run out of patience with you because it's not true. Uh, that's no extra charge at that point. Psalm 29, 1 through 2, we'd be, um, we're getting, uh, we'll, we'll skip to emblematic after this, but I like this one a lot because this one is A, B, C, D. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. So first he's telling the heavenly beings to worship. What, then secondly, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. What, what, do we, what do we worship him about? Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name, C, and finally, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. There's a progression there, all of which are related. Uh, so let's skip down to uh, emblematic or comparative parallelism because we have to uh, end here. Uh, that's where the imagery or the symbolism of line one, usually the symbolism's in the first line, illustrates or illuminates the meaning, which can be symbolism or energy of the second line, but it can sometimes be a didactic statement uh, of the second corresponding line. So he's, Psalm 1-3, he's like a tree that is the righteous man. It's, that's the first three verses in Psalm 1 talk about the righteous man. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. So there's two little phrases there. A tree by streams of water is not, you know, it's sending out roots. It's, it's not wilting, it's not drying up, it's got a constant source of water. So, so the, the fruit comes in its season, not early. We always expect our fruit a little early. And his leaf does not wither, so in all he does, he processes. A, B, and C are all illustrations of the conclusion uh, of, the, of the emblematic or comparative parallelism of uh, all that he does prospers. Psalm 18, 4, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Two biblical word images uh, that are different, but are making the same point. God will fight our battles if, as long as you're in his battles. Uh, so notice we use Psalm 42, 1 there again, because it's both a synthetic formal parallelism, and it's an emblematic or comparative parallelism. As the deer pants for flowing streams or living water, so my soul longs for God. Uh, then we use Psalm uh, 103.13, which says very similar thing to uh, previous verse we quoted. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, which we use the same idea from a proverb, I believe, up higher, and preached on it for a while. Um, I like, I love Proverbs 25, 12, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fold, fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. In other words, it's highly desirable. You know, when my wife uh, turned a certain age, which I won't mention, uh, Amber, now Poon, then Johnson, uh, helped me for many hours picking out... Uh, a couple thousand dollars worth of jewelry for my wife, because jewelry is very befitting. It's nice. It, it fits. 
And in fact, and uh, of course, uh, it became sort of a little famous thing between my wife and I because I had her totally convinced that I had forgotten her birthday and I got her nothing except a card. And she was so mad at me. <laughs> you would think you'd remember that some birthdays are more important. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> but of course, I had bought the gifts weeks ago, but I had to, I had to play it for all it was worth. But... <laughs> All right, so here's a possible enjoyable. Uh, we are three months from uh, from uh, uh, Advent. Uh, it starts in 91 days from today, uh, 13 Sundays. So uh, use uh, the that Magnificat, which is Luke 1, 46 through 45, to look for all these categories of parallelisms, and look for biblical imagery that's not just used by Mary but that goes throughout the whole Bible. She, she uses quite a few metaphors, quite a few word pictures, quite a few images that are biblical themes all the way through. And so that could be a little family exercise you do with your kids if they're, you know, they'd have to probably be like seven or eight or so, but probably can't do it if they're two and they don't read you. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, if they're exceptional children, maybe five or six, but probably seven or eight years old or older. But that would be a really fun uh, exercise to do if you still have kids that aren't, you know, off on their own and live 18 and all that. But, um, and fr- frankly, you could still do it as a family, uh, even if your kids were all grown up, if you wanted. But uh, everybody could uh, study that on their own and look for all the different kinds of comparative parallelisms and look for how many biblical images uh, are, are in the Magnificat that, that, that have their roots in Genesis and, and, and continue to have their, their uses all the way through Revelation. So let's, uh, next week we're going to, uh, what are we going to do next week? Um, I think we're going to look at different genres of the Psalms. Uh, I might, one week I'm going to just do a bunch of church quotes from famous church people over the years uh, about how important the Psalms are. You know, Luther loved the Psalms and so C.S. Lewis wrote a book about the Psalms, and T. Wright wrote a book about the Psalms. Augustine has some really wonderful quotes about the Psalms, so forth. So one, hopefully one week we'll do that a little bit. Thank you very much.